If you don't mind, we're moving pretty rapid here tonight. I just want to, uh, I know you guys are tired, and it's, it's Wednesday, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday can be pretty tasky. So if you'll just give me a few minutes of your time tonight, I promise you that I will not abuse it. And um, I'd like, if you have your Bibles with you, to open to Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read from verses 45 to 52. If you have the scriptures, say amen. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before him to Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. And when even was come the ship was the midst of the sea, he alone, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in, the, in, in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night that cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, would have passed them by. And he would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he, he talked with them. And he saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them and to the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were all amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered for they considered not the miracle of the lows for their heart was hardened everybody said amen you may be seated lord you know how nervous i am god and you know that i've sought your face for this very service I pray right now, God, that your that these lips of clay would be anointed, God. Your word is already anointed, but God, I pray that you would help me to to portray to these people what you've given me in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Let your anointing rest upon the service. Amen. A story was told of three pe- three preachers who were. Uh, out on the water fishing one day. It was a Baptist preacher, a rabbi, and it was a Catholic preacher. You know this is a joke when it starts like that, right? They were all about 200 feet. The boat was about 200 feet from the shore, and when the rabbi all of a sudden just got up, stepped out of the boat, walked on the water all the way to the shore, and got his lunch and started eating lunch. Minutes later, the Catholic priest got up and walked out on the water and Walked all the way to the shore, and he got his lunch. The Baptist preacher was just left in awe. Didn't he? Just shocked. And uh, he says, you know what? I know that I am as spiritual, if not more, than those two guys. So he got up, got, and stepped out of the boat, sunk straight to the bottom. Come straight up, grabbed air, got back in the boat. 
couldn't believe what had happened. He just knew he was going to walk on that water. So he said, I'm going to try it again. Got out, same thing happened, got back in the boat. Third time, he says, you know what, this is, this is foolish. He stepped out of the boat, sunk to the bottom. And about that time, the rabbi leaned over to the, the priest and he's, as they were eating their lunch. He says, you think we should tell him where those rocks are? So hopefully we'll share with each other our gift of knowledge tonight. The setting of this miracle, Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people. And they say that there was probably even about 15,000 in attendance. They were sitting by the Sea of Galilee as they used this young boy's lunch to feed these hungry people. The air was charged with excitement. The multitude had reached such a, it reached such a feverish pitch that, and enthusiasm that they were ready to take Jesus by force and to make him king. It's very important for you to get that. Because in seeking to make Jesus king, they would have destroyed his ministry and the whole purpose for which he was on the earth, which was to go to the cross. I was praying today, and I had been, Brother Hughes asked me Wednesday, Monday, if I could preach tonight. And I said, yes, sir, before thinking, and then I got busy. And so I was praying today, and, 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 and I was praying for the direction of God tonight. And I was sitting there in my little study. I had my job on my mind. I had so much on my mind. And, and I just felt so inadequate to be up here. I felt, you know, I said, God, and I, and I do this every time I'm asked to preach. I said, God, what, are these, what do I have that these people can use to better themselves with you. And, and as I was questioning God, and I was praying in a, in, in, in a reverence. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't questioning God. I was, I was reverencing God, and I was studying, and I had just wrote what I shared with you because they had sought to make Jesus king. No more did I get finished typing that little period than my doorbell rang. Two young ladies were at the front door, and I walked over there, and I opened the door, and they were obviously Jehovah's Witness, and, and she had some pamphlets, and I didn't want to be rude, and, and she said, my name's Angelina, this is Delora, and what's your name, sir? I said, Jay, and um, she said, Jay, would you mind if I shared a scripture with you? God is my witness. She said, Jay, I want to read a scripture out of John, chapter 6, verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. I just knew, I mean, obviously God was confirming to me that I was in the right manner. And I asked the young lady, I said, what 
does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And she says, well, son, she said, I'll tell you what that means to me. If he would have become king, he would have never fulfilled his true purpose. And I said, ma'am, I said, you don't know how right you really are. (laughs) And I said, ladies, I appreciate your time. But there is so much truth in this word, and I want y'all to keep digging because I promise you, if you'll keep digging, God's going to show you the light one day. And so I came back in, and I knew I was confident that I was in the will of God. So I don't care how y'all receive this tonight. I'm, I'm confident. I feel good. I'm happy. So the first thing I want to plant in your mind is that the place of God's purpose at the place of God's purpose is where you're going to find God's power. The place of God's purpose is where the power of God truly lies. I want you to follow closely with me. In the Old Testament, God said to Elijah, I want you to go to the house of the widow woman for I will feed you there. Not go somewhere, but there. Elijah went into the widow woman's house and he introduced himself and said, Hey, I'm the preacher and I'm hungry. And she gave him the last TV dinner that she had and and he ate it. He sat down and he ate it. But when he did, the crews of oil were filled up and the meal barrels were filled up. There was never a need in that home for the rest of the depression. Because God said to Elijah, I want you to go there. And there is where I will do my miracle. Jesus said to the twelve disciples as he left the earth, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send you the Comforter. I want you to go to Jerusalem into the upper room because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit there. Not somewhere, but there. Had they not believed, I I believe this with all my heart, had they not been in the upper room in Jerusalem at the time God directed them, they would not have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm saying this very, very, very clearly tonight. God has a there for you. God has a there for you. There's an excellent place that God wants you. There's an exact place that God wants you to be. And when you get to that place, which is God's purpose, God is going to give you his power to accomplish what it is that he wants you to do. It's very important that you understand God's divine purpose. For your life. So what is it? The greatest tragedy in, in life, it's not death. But I believe that the greatest tragedy in life is when the life fails to fulfill its divine purpose and potential. The Bible states that it is better to never have been born than to fail to reach God's purpose in your life. I can prove this to you because it says it in Ecclesiastes 6 and 3. 
He says, if a man begot a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and and departeth in darkness and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything This hath more rest than the other. It's better to have not been born than to just come and sit on the pew on a Sunday and to go through the motions and to go through the service and to lean on your pastor or your youth pastor or some spiritual elder in the church to feed you. There is... A growth pattern that has to occur in the church. You can't just continually be fed by him, by those that have sought after the will of God. I know that God will keep you in those times, and there are times when it takes that. But there has to be somewhere in your life where you say, I'm tired of just sitting on the pew. I'm tired of just coming to church and going through mundane motions. I need... I need to find my purpose. Jesus' purpose on this earth was the cross. Satan comes now through this mob and says, We want to make you king. It came as a, as a, as a treasure. We want to make you king. But what I'm trying to tell you is that Satan will always offer sensation over sacrifice the bible says to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the lord which is your your reasonable service satan will always offer you feeling over faith and if you live by feeling you will always always make personal and professional Decisions that will destroy you if you live by feeling. What is God's purpose for your life? He has an exact purpose. And when you find that purpose, I promise you, you will find supernatural power. What is God's purpose for your marriage? Are you single? Be sure, trust me, I know I'm a young guy, but trust me, Satan will try to send somebody to destroy your potential. He did it to Samson. Samson dated Delilah. His parents said, that's not a good choice for you, son. But he stuck with it. And because of that relationship, his eyes were gouged out by the Philistines and he ground corn. All the days of his adult life, just like an ox. Because he could not break a relationship that was not destined for him from God. What is God's purpose for your business, for your professional life? If you're a businessman, listen to what I'm about to tell you. To release your potential... Demands that you refuse to be satisfied 
with your latest accomplishment. Oh, (laughs) how easy it is for us to gloat over our latest accomplishment. Let me tell you something, when it when it's all over, let me say it let me say it another way. Let me say it like this. When your dreams are greater than your memories, you have potential and purpose into the future. But when your memories are greater than your dreams, you're living in the past. And I hate to tell you, but your life is over. I'm telling you that God that you serve is a God of the now. He's a God of right now, and he's a God of the future. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your age, what your status is in life. The best days you're ever going to live are right now and the ones in front of you. Do it with everything that's within you. I don't care what you've accomplished in life. I don't care how much money you think you have. The best days of your life are before you. The best days, the best memories are still yet to be made. Blaze, (laughs) last night, I, I asked him if I could use this. And he got nervous. He said, uh, do I have to go on stage? I said, no, baby. I, I'm just going to use the story. They were playing a baseball game. And a 10-year-old, that I, I've learned a lot this year, that a 10-year-old's enthusiasm and a 10-year-old's confidence are very, very fragile. Very fragile. And he was so excited, and he was playing his game, and he'd come up, and and they, they it was coming up to the last inning, and the other team tied the score. They didn't even go ahead, but they tied the score. And I saw Blaze's countenance just change, just, mm. you know, it was like that where they do the hand thing. It was just like that. And so... He come over and boy, his shoulders were stooped down to his rib cage, and he just and I said, "Buddy, what's wrong?" It's all over. They tied the game, and I mean, just tears were starting to dwell up. And I said, "I said, son, come on." You, I said, "They just tied the game." I said, "What? What's what?" And I'm telling you, this is not the first time this happened. This is like every game of the season, and the poor guys have lost. Eight games in a row. So I understand it was difficult. And I'm trying to handle this. And I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. Because I just don't want him to give up. And I'm just ready to shake it out of him. And mama's giving me the eye. So I said, you know what, buddy? I said, you got to change your attitude. you got to, you know, I don't want to change it. We're tired of losing. And so I just walked away. He knew I wasn't happy. And he called me over and he said, it was about five minutes later, they had played. And he called me over and he said, Dad, I had the wrong attitude. I thought Jesus was coming because <laughs> this doesn't happen, okay? And he said, Daddy, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I had the wrong attitude and, 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 and I, I shouldn't have I've gotten that upset. And I want to apologize to you. I want to, that, he said those words. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been praying for this child, okay? Either God's going to have to help us or I'm going to invest a lot of money in duct tape. So... 
He come up and he said, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Dad. And I was like, wow. I said, Blaze, that's awesome. I said, do you really believe y'all can win this game? He said, you know, Dad, I think we can. And sure enough, he had no more and got those words out of his mouth. And I heard the cling of a bat. And his buddy, his teammate, had hit um, a, a line drive and scored two runs. And they went up. And Blaze was pumped up, and he was jumping up and down. you got to understand, these guys haven't won in eight games, okay? So they're, they're ahead, and it's the last inning. There's some hope building here. And Blaze and two outs are down, and they, had, and they scored one run, and the tying run is on second base, and Blaze is playing third base. And sure enough, they, my fears came true. They hit it right at Blaze. <laughs> And Blaze, with all confidence, scooped the ball up and made a cautious throw to first base. And the runner was out, and we won the game. And I said, God, that was the best lesson my son could have ever learned. Thank you so much. I don't care about the winning. I care about the lesson that my son learned. So we we got to make sure that that we don't... Gloat over our latest victories and that we don't get down when the tie, the tying run crosses the plate. But you can't, you can't give up. No matter what it looks like. The future, the future is bright. The miracle of walking on water was a time of prayer. The, the Bible says that Jesus went to the mountain to pray. I want to ask a couple of you a personal question tonight. Some personal questions. How much do you pray? That's a rhetorical question. Please don't answer. How often do you pray? Do you only pray when you're in crisis? Then you're what I consider to be a crisis Christian. And guess what? If the only time you call on God is... When you're in a crisis, then God's going to keep you in a crisis. Because you know why? Because God wants to hear from you. If you're a crisis Christian and the only time that you pray is when you're in trouble, God's going to keep you in trouble. Because he wants to hear from you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you. Jesus was not powerful because he was a son of God. He was powerful because he had a prayer life. All throughout the Bible, he prayed many times into the night. Hence, fulfilling the statement, some prayer equals some power. More prayer equals more power. Much prayer equals much power. Prayer is not sending God to run all your errands. God's bigger than that. When you pray, do you concentrate, or your thoughts, do you concentrate more on the mountain that you want God to move, or on the God that has the power to move that mountain? What are your motives? What are your motives when you pray? Where are your thoughts when you're praying? I'm telling you what. I've had to repent. I, I have personally repent, repented over some of my prayer times because I'm tired or something's heavy on my mind. And I'll come in here and I can say words and I can sit there right in my study and I can, I can pray and words are coming out of my mouth and my thoughts were nowhere near being in prayer. 
Amen. What is your motive when you pray? Why pray? Why do we pray? Because God answers prayer. The Bible says, call and I will answer. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. The Bible says, whatsoever ye ask it, the Father in my name, I will do it. The Bible says nothing is impossible for those that believe and are called and according to the purpose of God. Why pray? Because God answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says wait. Two of those you really don't want to hear. But God always answers prayer. Why pray? Because we are commanded to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 6, when you pray, not if you pray. That's a commandment. When you pray, not if you pray. We know the power of prayer. We know the plan of prayer. We know the pattern of prayer. We know the priority of prayer. We know the purpose of prayer. We know the positions of prayer. But we don't purpose to pray. I'm going to tell you something. If the truth was to come out, the real tragedy we're facing today, it's not unanswered prayer. The real tragedy that we're facing as a church is unoffered prayer. Unoffered prayer. We can pat each other on the back and say, Oh, God. I know it's unanswered prayer just yet, but I know God's going to. But what is our motives? What is our focus when we're praying? Prayer will make a man leave all sinning, or sin will make a man leave all praying. Ask you again, how much do you pray? You will always be a defeated Christian. Mark my words. You will always be a defeated Christian until you learn the power of prayer. If you don't have a time in your day to talk to God, you know what? You need to shorten your day. You need to learn to pray. Because God cannot move until you pray. If you don't have a time, you need to make a time that you pray. How do you believe that, Jay? Because the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. The Bible says, what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. And what you release on earth, I will release in heaven. Therefore, the initiative rests upon you. As powerful as God is, he cannot invade your life until you pray. But when you pray, he can move the mountains. He can, defi- he can divide the seas. He can, he can conquer your enemies. He can reach any problem in your life. He can do the impossible when you pray. Somebody said amen. I know this stuff ain't new. I know that. But you know what? I know God has talked to me. And somebody needs to hear this tonight. I know I needed to hear this. I felt so much conviction when I, when it, when I was writing it. I was, man, I need, I need this. 
Now get this point. The disciples are in the storm and it's, and it's great trouble. But trouble's not always chastisement. I know some of us have been taught that, that, that trouble is chastisement. But that's, that's just not the truth. Only severe storms can expose which trees are alive and which trees are dead. Only severe storms will tell you which trees are deeply rooted and those that have shallow root systems and can be blown over with the least amount of opposition. When a storm comes into your life, it causes you to dig deep into the Word of God and your spiritual root structure takes power and then it has the ability the next time you're in a storm to give you an endurance to strengthen you. Storms strip away trees of dead branches to increase their potential for the future. And if God is sending you into a storm, it's not because He's trying to harass you, but rather He's trying to extract things from your life that has been has the potential to defeat you. And He's trying to expand your potential so that you can reach the destiny that God has for you. Jesus gave a storm seminar. He told the story of two houses being built on two builders by two builders on two different kinds of foundations, sand and rock, with two different results. One stood on one stood and one fell. Why? Because he said, and when the storms came, Say that with me. And when the storms came, and when the storms came, not if the storms came, and when the storms came, they would be able to stand. It's not a matter of if the storms will come, but rather when the storms will come. You cannot tell me, you can't tell the quality of a house until it's been beaten by a storm. If you're built on sand, if you're built on feeling, if you're built on sensation, you're not going to survive the storm. You're not going to make it. But if you are built on Christ, the solid rock, you cannot be shaken and you will not be moved when the storm hits. When storms come and you're in the midst of the sea and everything that you've trusted in depend and everything that you've depended on begins to fail, we begin to ask why. It's not wrong to ask why. It's human. It's human to ask why. Why, Jesus, when the storms come? Why? Storms are proof that you are a card-carrying member of the human race. Job cried, why wasn't I born dead? Elijah cried, take my life. I'm the last one left. Jesus even cried on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We look into the shallow grave and say, God, where are you? We look at our shattered dreams and we say, why, God, why? We look at our broken marriages and our broken relationships and we say, why? Why? God is too wise. Listen to me. God is too wise to make mistakes and he's too loving to be unkind. Why does God send you into the storm? Because the the storm 
God sends you into, it's not your decision. But your decision comes in how you endure that storm. And how you endure that storm determines your destiny. Will you obey or will you disobey? When the storms come, will you cry out in fear? Or will you stand in faith? Will you quit the church and return to a godless life? Or will you stay the course and learn to lean on your members and your friends and your family? Trouble that drives you to Jesus, whether you agree with me or not, is a priceless treasure. We hate trouble. We run from trouble. We complain about trouble, but trouble has made you what you are. Every improvement you've ever made, I guarantee you, if you really look at it and examine it, you made it because of trouble. Trouble is an asset. Trouble strengthens your muscles. Trouble sharpens your mind. Trouble sharpens your skill. And trouble transforms your spaghetti spine into a spine of steel. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Trouble. When you're in the storm, you need to recognize that God has you there to develop you and to make you better. Think about it. I know we've all heard this, but when you're in a storm, you forget all this stuff. When you're in a storm, there's no preacher sitting there with a microphone yelling into your life. All you can see is this wind and the waves. You can't depend on your friends when you're in a storm. Two friends were hiking in the woods one day and they stumbled up on a grizzly bear. One sat down immediately and started unlacing his hiking boots. And he reached in his backpack and pulled out his tennis shoes and he put his tennis shoes on. And his friend looked at him and says, what's wrong with you, man? You can't outrun that bear. He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. All I got to do is outrun you. You can't depend on your friends when trouble hits. God is trying to prepare you. God is trying to prepare us for a fight and a fight alone. Your friends won't be there. Your family won't be there. But Jesus will always be there. Everything will be all right when you learn who to lean on in the storms You know, just because you can't see Jesus in your storm doesn't mean he can't see you. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. He's the master of the wind and the waves. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He can make a way when there seems to be no way. And he'll take you by the hand. And he'll lead you. He'll lead you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Are we really listening to these words when we read the Scriptures? Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. So I'm saying to those of you who are here and who can hear what I'm saying, 
Are you in a storm? The thing you think is about to destroy you, the thing that you think is really about to take you under, God is using that very thing to save you. That very thing to save you. You know, I've learned to give my storms names. (laughs) I name them. They name hurricanes, I can name my storms. Financial storm. Marital storm. Emotional storm, health storm, employment storm. He hasn't promised you a smooth sailing, but he has promised you a safe landing. Your storm may be out of your control, but I promise you tonight, it's not out of control, out of his control. Because you see, he holds the seven seas in his hands. He is still Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's still Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. He is still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He is still Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. And because he is the shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want love because he is love. I shall not want peace because he's the prince of peace. I shall not want joy for he is the, in his presence is the fullness of joy. I shout out one power, for he anoints my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Because he is mine, and I am his. Everything, everything, everything is going to be all right. But Brother Jay, me and my family, you know what? I hate to bust your bubble. It's a great message, and I'm sure God gave it to you. But, you know, we're okay. We're we're okay. Our financial future is set. You know, I, I mean, things are great. My, my wife, we're so in love. We're more in love than we first met. You know, children behave every time we tell them to sit. They said, we got plenty of money in the bank account. We got plenty. We're secure. But, but, but go ahead and preach what you preach because it's great. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you something. Cancer is not afraid of your money. Heart disease is not afraid of your money. Money will buy you a $50 steak, but only God can give you the appetite to enjoy it. Money can buy you the best surgeons, but only God can give you divine health. Money can buy you a bed made of gold, of, of a gold frame and goose feathers, whatever, I don't know, something comfortable. But only God can give you true rest and peace when you lay down to sleep at night. Money can give you a mansion of splendor, but only God can give you the love to make that house a home. I know, I I know, I know what I'm preaching. Trust me. I know what I'm saying. I'm out there pounding this pavement every day trying to get a dollar so that we can survive. But you know what? That's not what it's about. I'm telling you, it's not what it's about. If your trust is in your money, if your trust is in your company, if your trust is in what you're doing for a living, it's going to fail you. It's going to fail you. But if your trust is in the rock, can we all stand? Listen in verse 38. And he would have passed them by. That's a mystery verse to a lot of people. He sent them into the storm. 
And they were in a fight for their lives, but he says he would have passed them by. The very storm he sent them into, he would have passed them by. Why would he have ever ever even thought about passing them by? Why? Because he wants to hear from them. He wants to hear from them. The message of this miracle, this whole miracle that we've, we've, how many, how many, seriously, how many sermons have we heard on this? The message of this miracle to me is really that Jesus is powerless until you ask him for help. Call and I will answer. Ask and you shall receive. No good thing will he withhold from those that diligently seek him. You know what the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Then will I heal their land. tell you something I don't I don't I don't want to see anybody I don't want to see anybody have the rug pulled out from under them not even my worst enemy I remember when I was going through such a trial in my life I was praying that God would kill me I literally said those words I, I was living in a fear of anxiety and a fear and a depression. Had no hope. And I remember, I remember that thought. Because you know what I said? I told God, I said, God, if I survive this, please don't let me forget some of these things. I remember I wouldn't have wished that on my worst enemy to go through what I was dealing with. I remember when we first came here, I had conquered that little battle for many years. And when we first came here, it came on me again. It came on me pretty strong. A lot of y'all, you know, I walk in the church announcing it. But I was sitting over there and I was listening to Brother Hughes and I, I felt that just creeping up on me. And I remember... I remember, God, I, I, I can't go through this again. Because the last time I felt that, it was a year later before I ever came out of it. Lost, man, I, I think I ended up losing somewhere around 55 pounds or something, which wouldn't have been a rough diet, but it was kind of good. But you know what? I don't, I don't want to wish, I don't wish anybody to fall. I don't, I don't wish for anybody to be in pain. But guys, we, we, we have a sense of security that's false. If you're leaning on what you're doing at work and your accomplishments at work, 
that's a false security. I mean, it's got to happen, but that can't be, that can't be everything. We've got, to, we've got to know who to lean on in the storm. I'm telling you right now, I, I, I'm preaching to you. I, I'm, I'm seeking the will of God for my ministry. But you let me go through a storm and I guarantee you, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to go, God, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know how to do this, Lord. I don't have an answer. Brother Hughes preached a couple of Wednesday nights ago. It's okay to not know sometimes. It's okay for you to admit that you don't really know what's going on. That healed me. That gave me healing in my soul because so many times I felt like I had to have an answer. I'm just telling you tonight, if you're in a storm, stand strong. Hold on to what you, I don't care if you feel like all that's left is your fingertips. And they're white and you can just feel them starting to slip. Hold just hold what you got. Hold what you got. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is about God. I, I, I need to talk to Dr. Hughes. I, God just lets you get to the end of the rope. He just he allows that kind of stuff to happen. Your storms are here for a reason. I guarantee you. If you haven't yet, you will, trust me. But you're going to be in the middle of a storm you would have, you would have, you would have never, you would have bet your life savings that you would have never had to deal with it. That's, that's life. That's how it happens. But you know what? You've got to hold on. You've got to stand strong. Can we come to the front?